You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, we are talking food and politics with Willie Geist, co-anchor of MSNBC's Morning Joe and the anchor of Sunday Today with Willie Geist, and also Alex Wagner, editor at The Atlantic and former host of Now with Alex Wagner on MSNBC. But before we get to that, I just want to let you know that we have relaunched the Epicurious app, Epicurious Recipes and Food Videos, it's called. Uh, There are now 90 brand new recipe videos in 10 new series, including one of three ingredient Thanksgiving dishes you can make this year. Thanksgiving's happening. It's coming up, right? And the best part, the app will be updated every single day. Head to iTunes and you can download it now. Another thing, for the first time, we're hoping to get your voices, the listeners of this podcast, on our show. In a couple of weeks, we'll be airing our Thanksgiving Spectacular, which also happens to be the podcast's two-year anniversary. For the next week or so, we'll be taking your most pressing Thanksgiving questions via voicemail. Hosting for the first time? Scared of pie? Want to make something other than traditional mashed potatoes? You can call 929-265-8033. That's my radio voice. Once again, 929-265-8033. Leave us a message letting us know what your query is, uh, and then tune in to hear if food editor Carla Lolly Music answers your questions. And once again, finally, that's 929-265-8033. All right, let's do this. Let's talk food and politics with Willie and Alex. All right, guys, we are recording this a week from the election, exactly one week. And I feel like I don't even, is it fair to say that I don't know who's going to be president? It's fair yeah. to say that you don't know, but I think the rest <laughs> of us know. Really? I don't, it, it would be very surprising yeah. if he became president. And that's not in my opinion. That's a look at data inside yeah. the states, the five or six states that will decide the election. And the other thing is the email story that blew up on Friday and is now in its fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth days didn't really move the meter you know it was it's such a partisan issue that it was a huge deal for republicans and i don't think it was the worst thing in the world not a big deal at all for democrats but you know who it's you know it's huge with foodies foodies <laughs> yes huge <laughs> foodies all huge. over the world rock their rock their socks off the foodie swing vote is going to decide <laughs> yeah. this election because they vote as a block exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> very unified very monolithic it's not impossible but it's highly unlikely that donald trump will be president i agree with that willie um did you see this thing about a few weeks ago? Do you, if you, do you ever follow Pete Wells, the New York Times restaurant critic? Uh, I follow his writing. I don't follow yeah. him okay. on the social media. On the Twitter. And someone brought up that they had never seen – a waiter said, I've been working in New York City restaurants for 15 years now. I've never seen Donald Trump out and about at a New York City restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. A, because I do think restaurants these days more than ever perhaps are where you do sort of get seen. And Obama – Alex, you know this, has made a point of going to, like, the cool restaurants. Well, so I think his reason for going to restaurants is twofold. One, I think he and his wife like to eat um, and try try food, right? (laughs) But I also think it's a break from being inside the White House, which by all accounts is a pretty insular existence, and it's a way of sort of being in the world insofar as he's in a restaurant with other people, even if he's not actually sort of, like, sitting with them and eating with them. So, I mean, Trump not going to a restaurant is really very strange because his children like going to restaurants. Well, all right, so I did a little bit more research on the Twitter and uh, and a lot of people chimed in. Um, And it was interesting. People have seen Trump, but it's, like, at certain types of restaurants. And it's interesting. Like, I think the restaurant you go to 
says something a lot about the yeah. person you are. And, and the spottings of Trump were at like Le Cirque a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Ralph Lauren polo bar, which yes, I'm a big fan of. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. One guy saw him like 10 years ago at Tau. And he said, <laughs> said he was rather disinterested. All the places you've just described, I think, are within a four block radius of Trump Tower. In, in the 50s, and, yeah. Yes. And, oh, then the other restaurant, and someone had a great shot um, shot through this sort of uh, glass of Bordeaux of him and his wife at 21 Club. Old it school. I, I'm hearing right. old school. Right. I'm hearing sort of Vegasy restaurants. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing power. like like holdovers from the 90, 80, 90s, 80s restaurant power scene like, you know, yeah. Le Cirque. His, I mean, his essence is very of a time. It's yeah. very mm-hmm. 80s. Everything in Trump Tower is still gold plated. It's mirrored. He is sort of a product of the 80s. And those are the, probably the restaurants when he was big yeah. uh, shit. Can we say we can say yeah, shit? Yeah, on yeah, the yeah, sure, big sure. shit in the 80s. Those were the places you wanted to be seen in. So those are the places that sort of set in his mind and he still goes. Yeah. It's interesting people like that. Like I, I grew up in the eighties as well and I was big into like the hair metal in the eighties. You know, late eighties, <laughs> sure. sure. warrant, sure. docking. Trump is apparently oh. also but you, no, but you see but you see people like that who like just keeping the dream alive. And you're like, those, yeah. those are my golden years, and damn it, I'm sticking to them. And Trump is like the same thing. He's like, I'm huge in the eighties. I'm gonna put gold over everything. I'm gonna yep. keep do the hair, the big red tie. Like I'm just like I'm all about power. I'm impressed that those restaurants are still around. I mean, you know, the New York restaurant dining scene is yeah. like vicious. It's a knife it fight is. in a phone booth. And, and the idea that Le Cirque is still serving it says something about Le Cirque. So you know, and Le Cirque is on its third location right now because it was originally where the where Danielle is now. Then it moved to the. Palace Hotel, right. and then now it's in like the Bloom. Ironically, I don't know, ironically or not, but in the Bloomberg Building right. in the fifties, right. as you pointed out. Right. That, uh, you know what? Those places they're not the hot restaurants, obviously, but like once a year, they're fun to go to. Like yeah. totally. twenty one around the holidays, that's a good meal. It's well, twenty one, twenty one is an awesome room. Yeah. If anyone who hasn't been there, and you've seen, um, I'm a you're a smart New Yorky sort of guy. Well, you've seen sort of sweet sweet smell of success. Yeah. Oh yeah, with, yeah. with Burt Lancaster. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and uh, and Tony Curtis, and the shot, the scenes shot there where he holds court are basically, you know, it has not changed. Right. Uh, also, for those younger than you, <laughs> dinosaurs, there's a very pivotal scene in Sex in the City where Big and Carrie have a really have wait, the, dinner wait, at the Twenty One Club. The show, underneath not the movie. The show. The show. Yeah. But there's so many scenes in that show took place at restaurants. And it comes back to, like I said, where you frequent says a lot about you. And it's interesting getting back to Obama. He went to Estella here in New York, which we in our magazine put as one of our top 10 new restaurants uh, a couple years ago. And it's like an, it's in on East Houston Street, like yeah. basically in the Lower East Side. In D.C., he's gone to Rose's Luxury, which is like you got to wait three hours to get in unless you're the no, president. Yeah. Um, he seems to go to some progressive places. Well, progressive insofar as they're the cutting edge of, I think, you know, dining and food and trends. I mean, I think they're that, cool. to be honest, yeah. has a lot to do with the first lady who's super adventurous when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. I mean, bo- I think both of them like eating and they like conviviality and they like new stuff. So why not try those things? I mean, I think, you know, Trump's choice of restaurants is evidence of the kind of person he is, which is much more, I mean, his ideas about, I think, culture and change. And I'm trying to think of a way to say this in in, in, in the sort of, because I think without any judgment, I mean, he's old. I mean, no, no, truly he is, he is old school and his choices and he's very kind of traditional in his choices and, and they're not, you know, I mean, this is something that I've marveled at. Like when Obama was running in 2008, I, I think it was 2008, there was so much uproar around his preference for arugula and that, you know, Obama somehow embodied this whole foodsy, you know, progressive, yeah. wishy-washy Democrat thing. 
it's not surprising that Trump is decidedly in the other direction, right? He's um, pure iceberg all the way. Yeah, man. Wedge salad. All Let's city. go. Big wedge See, with bacon. I would like to believe there is a land where you can be both. I love arugula. Yeah, I, and I love wedge but salad. I love a wedge. But you know what? If oh. I'm, but if I'm, I say I love arugula, but if I'm going to the polo bar at Ralph Lauren's restaurant, I will order the wedge. To be clear, that was not an attack on the wedge. It's just an <laughs> observation. I love the wedge. But sometimes they do the wedge where they pre-cut it for you. I don't oh, want that. Bullshit. I want the experience. Yeah. I want to hear my knife go through that Your steak knife. Your exactly. steak knife. Your serrated steak knife. Exactly. This is the question, though. Do you prefer blue cheese on the wedge or ranch? Blue cheese. Blue cheese. I didn't know that was a choice. Who's ever put ranch Ranch on a wedge? Ranch is like if you run out of blue cheese. You're projecting here and you like the ranch. (laughs) Yes. Don't ask me a question you want to answer. Let me me ask you a question. (laughs) Who doesn't love the ranch? America loves I the ranch. I like ranch as a if, dipping, you know as a what, dipping you know option. You know what? If ranch ran for president, ranch would be kicking <laughs> yeah. ass right uh-huh. now. Yep. Ranch Land would slide. be like nine, ten points ahead right now in the polls. Now, I, I want the ranch in the middle of the pre-cut vegetables. That yep. I'll give you. Mm. Baby carrots. But on top of the wedge, I want the, we- I want the blue cheese and I want some the crumbled crumbles. blue cheese with it. Yeah. With a little t- heirloom tomatoes. And Maybe a little bacon. bacon. I was positing to you guys via email that I, in some ways I believe that I'm like a blue state guy, but I have a red state diet. I understand fit? completely. Well, and, and how do you interpret that? So I went to college in Nashville. Yeah, Vanderbilt. So to Vanderbilt, Vandy. yeah. Then I lived in Atlanta for seven years after that. So I spent 10 years, a quarter of my life in the South. How many times have you been to Houston's? Constantly. Yeah. And you know what I do now? <laughs> Be- because of the Houston's habit I picked up in the South, now on a Sunday afternoon, maybe a little hungover, we will drive from our apartment on the Upper West Side and get the family vehicle out of the garage, <laughs> drive to Riverside Square Mall in New Jersey. Wow. Over the GWB? Houston, over the bridge. Commitment. Where there's a Houston's just to get the spinach artichoke dip. Wow. They never give you so enough good. chips. You got to get those coming yeah. back, but I'm not going to hold them to that. Wow. That's how much I like Houston's. I was um, I was coming back from Long Island one time. I took uh, the bus home. My wife and child were still out there. And I get up, there's that stop on like 41st and 3rd Avenue. It was a nice night and it was like summer. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to walk for a while. I've been on a bus for two and a half hours. And I'm starting walking down 3rd Avenue. Then I cut over and you're in like that weird, you know, Murray Hill area. And next thing I know, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm on Park and 27th. And there's Hillstone. And I'm by myself. And it's like 745 on a Sunday night. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go sit at the bar. Yeah, you are. And I'm going to like, I'm going to get. Spinach artichoke dip for myself. Wow. Then I'm getting the burger. Wow. I'm going through the dip. They bring out extra chips, and I'm like, Preach. okay. I'm on vodka soda number two. I mean, wow. By 8.30, I was like drunk and so <laughs> full. And it was excellent. I know. It wasn't even dark out yet. Can I just suggest hazard a sort of theory here, which is, I f- and Adam, you would know this better than I or Willie, even given our deep, deep uh, understanding of American food. I feel like there's a real trend in a, in American sort of fine dining. I mean, this goes against everything that I just said, but I feel like there's a trend to return to the red state diet. So like the perfection of the American burger is something mm, you're seeing across New York City, right? Cute. I mean, and steaks and cocktails. I mean, this is a thing that's happening even among blue staters is a, a celebration of and a refinement of the the classic like because you know items. what you're getting. You know what you're getting, especially in I, I, this, I've posited this as well. I, I don't use the word posit that often, but I feel mm-hmm. like I'm using it a lot today. Um, that especially in economic times where things are a little bit more unstable, people are like, you know what? If I'm going to go out to dinner and spend a lot of money, it better be for something that I know I'm going to like. Right. You know, and I know I'm going to like that ribeye steak and the baked potato and the wedge salad. See, I, don't like, think, I know that. I don't think it's a bad development, though, because the era when you get the big plate with the tiny little Ooh. thing in the middle yeah, of it and foam. you weren't quite we don't sure want foam. foam, you weren't foam. sure what it was. Psst. 
just give me a good steak. Yeah, and heritage. You know, like people want to know where their food is from, and they know want to want right. to know what's on their plate. But that is also different than what Trump, for example, who we we are categorizing as an institutionalist as far as his food preferences. That's different. He eats a lot of fast food on yep. on the trail, a lot, and the- and see, and not just because of necessity. Because he legit really enjoys it. And let me tell you, I like fast food. Too. Of course. Well, I don't know that man. I could eat it with the same what? frequency. Okay. Let, all right. Let's talk about that because it's interesting. Like right now, so I have a soon to be nine year old, as Marlon likes to say, eight, soon to be nine, quote unquote. You, Willie, how old are your nine? Nine year old daughter, seven year old son. I have the mind of yeah. a nine year old. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. So Marlon, he won't even acknowledge McDonald's. He'll just like, they, they talk at school as if McDonald's is poisonous or something right like, they're just like no don't eat, you know and it's interesting what is your kids I, I relationship get that too with? i wonder if that's a new york city thing they'll or, go to shake shack for also, their nine dollar right. whatever but i think probably we've when i grew up mcdonald's was a huge okay. treat like my parents were yeah. like we eat there maybe we're on the road on yeah, vacation or something so we've sort of taken that approach so they don't ask for it they just think hey maybe we'll get this once or twice a year but they eat pizza they eat all the yeah, crap that kid the kids eat well it's funny like the delivery stuff like delivery pizza or mozzarella sticks are fine but mcdonald's or something it's like right. institutional sort of right one thing though i think which is what conservative folks if whatever we're calling that um get annoyed with and like my mom speaking of which is there is that preachiness of like don't preach to me about what's good for me totally. anytime i bring up kale to my mom my mom's a Registered Democrat and all that nonsense, but she's like, "Oh, you kids and your kale! Like we are not having kale at Thanksgiving." Oh, like she gets visibly pissed right. off, and there's I understand that. It's like don't tell, like just because you're into it, don't make me get into it. Right? It's like yoga. Just leave me out of it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Have you done yoga? You really should yeah. do yoga. Oh, yeah. I don't want to do yoga. I can't touch my toes. I don't want to do yoga. But I agree. It's the total. It's it's a proxy but, for something you know, else. Yeah. But because it's you can't touch kale. your toes, probably means you should be trying to uh, do something. Here we yoga. go. Well, this yeah. is the problem. Mm-hmm. The preaching begins. Uh, you know, but flexibility, you can't just go to the gym and get huge every day, Willie. Well, can I just say, Kale's become a talisman for, like, liberal scolding around right. food. Right. Yes. I kind of wonder, and I legitimately don't know the answer to this, if there hadn't been such a concerted effort to scold people about their food choices, would people care as much today? Wait, what, that, what do you mean? So, like, if people, you know, if there hadn't been the the rhetoric and the language and the, the feeling of being scolded, yeah. would people actually pay attention to their food choices? Oh, because they're getting... I just wonder, like, was that a necessary part? What she's saying is these rubes don't know what's good for them. Mm. Well, no, but like, <laughs> yeah. I'm... Yes and no. There's two two thoughts. Two thoughts I think there's always... People don't like to hear what they don't want to hear, but a week later they're like, eh, okay. Exactly. Like, they they yeah. kind of come around like, right. you know, someone braids you about yoga, and then a week from now, Willie's going to be going to yoga. <laughs> know, I just be so obvious. to book a class. He's yeah. going to be like in his unitard and everything. that glow. That glow. Um, but so I think there's part of that. But also I do think, like, it's interesting, like, for instance... Um, Brussels sprouts are on every menu everywhere. Oh, right. The new kale. Uh, that, but that could go back to when David Chang put them on the, the menu at Momofuku, and they were like Brussels sprouts with like thick-cut bacon and crispy and fish sauce. And people liked them because they were like delicious. And then all of a sudden, other chefs started doing them because they were delicious and often with a pork product. But they sort of gained popularity without the lecture. So I think there's two ways to do it. I don't think it's bad to break people into sure. healthiness. But also, I think you're like, oh, actually, yeah, Ve- this is Vegetable-centric yes. menus are actually totally delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody wrote a piece, I'll have to look it up, a couple of years ago about the end of the, the the big, long work lunch. Because at startups, the energy is like order in, sit yeah. at your desk, we're working while we're eating. So that's total anathema to anyone below the age of 
40, 50 yeah. maybe right. even. You? You've been like you're going to go hours. out for two hours and eat lunch. We're trying to get something done here. And I'm that way too. Those long lunches feel weird. But Going out for lunch feels weird. It feels to me weird. At this point. Yeah, but there's still. I mean, there there are vestiges of it at those certain places, like Michael's, a restaurant on East Fifty Fifth, right. um, where it's like a media lunchroom, and you go there to meet someone and to be seen, yes. and like make the scene. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of drinking, is it true that Trump does not drink? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Has his, he never drunk? His, never drank. His brother was a terrible alcoholic oh, yes. and, who and passed died away. from yeah. it, and he said he learned from that never to drink. Said the booze killed him, and he wasn't going to touch it. I, mean, I commend him for his discipline on that front. You know, like in terms, of, and you also hear about how Trump is always out and about doing with the ladies and such um, charity I, work. Is that what charity you're saying? Work? Yeah. yeah, doing a lot of charity yeah. work at night. I'm going to get so many pissed off listeners. Like, really? No, bon no, you, you, but he does. I mean, he's like at nightclub. I mean, he let he met Melania Nouse, now yeah. Melania Trump, at a nightclub. I mean, he's out. He to had do that di- with- he, he had dinner at Tao ten years ago. Yes, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And to do that without booze is. Hillary Clinton is not like that. She does enjoy cocktails. Yeah. She does. What does she enjoy? I was interested. Cocktails. We know cocktails oh, she? for I've, sure. She's, I, she's had beer on the campaign trail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what her drink is. I think she has I a drink. Like I feel like I read somewhere it that it was uh, something involving maybe a bourbon. I can't remember. Yeah. But she definitely partakes. She likes hot sauce a lot as well. She carries it with her wherever does she goes. Does she really? Mm-hmm. I, I, is that just like a Beyonce I thing? believe that. She, I do. At a certain I, point, like, really, you say really, it enough. Yeah. It becomes true. And then your, but ba- they and make, then your bag man makes sure you. it's always in the there. The Clinton campaign like beats this horse that flogs this horse relentlessly, like, and Hillary has hot sauce in her bag, as right. if it's like the most interesting thing about her. Um, which leads me to believe it's like it's it's true. It's just such a weird why would Wait, you speaking of which they Emma, focus grouped em- it. Yeah. People love yeah, hot people sauce. Love hot well sauce. they do. Well, but it it actually, Adam, it makes her a little bit I thought I found it surprising. I don't, and I, why yeah, did I find anything, it? Why is it anything surprising? Anything is surprising about Hillary that makes her seem the least bit human. But why does hot sauce make her seem human? The fact that you carry hot sauce? Yeah. That is unusual. That's a quirk. That's a quirk. I guess. And she does not strike me as quirky. I also think it's the thing that she likes spicy food. That just doesn't fit with a, a politician who's con- we, we think of as someone who's constantly poll testing right. and doing safe things. Like liking really spicy food would seem to be a window do you think, into. Do you think, do you think, uh, like Hillary has a royal test taster who tastes all our no, food. No, I first. don't think so because I don't believe the president has a royal taster. And, and and if he did, I don't think it would be called a royal, royal taster. taster. On your Twitter bio, it says you are a Tabasco enthusiast. Oh my God. It Do got you carry? To, uh, I don't carry. Okay. There's concealed carry yeah, laws. There's carry laws here. Well, I'm trying to get in with the carrying Tabasco to one world trade. The, you saw the security down there. Oh, it's it's serious. The yeah. Yeah. I. Love it. I think it's the perfect food. It got to the point, I, ha- I developed an ulcer several years ago. Surprise! Because I was over consuming alcohol in Tabasco. And like, I just would like <laughs> to find get, well, that's called a bloody marriage. Food became just a vehicle for Tabasco. Yeah. Like, I could put it on white rice. And but I it's would interesting. Love it. it's the right, well, vinegar. So you went to the school in the South. Well, you lived mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I- Tabasco is a very certain kind of hot sauce. It's a very vinegary one. Because now you have Cholula, you got Sriracha, all these. I- I res- like I said, I respect the institution of Tabasco, but it's not what I usually reach for first. I, I don't use it a lot. I'll use it on um, oysters. You know, yeah. I could mm-hmm. pick that up in New sure. Orleans maybe a little bit. But as a general rule, I don't ask the restaurant to bring over Tabasco mm-hmm. regardless of what I'm having. It's, I've it, started to do a little bit on scrambled eggs. I had a friend who did. I was like, yeah, it's going like to make that. those better because they're so boring. Yeah, I'll do a little of that. But I definitely don't carry it in my purse. That my husband has a real issue with Tabasco sauce because oh. he thinks it overpowers everything because that vinegar taste is so pronounced. I, of course, think that's the hallmark of goodness is that taste. Um, so your husband, uh, Sam Cass, used to be the chef to the Obamas mm-hmm. in the White House. 
um, he got very involved in food politics, which is different than food and politics, what mm-hmm. we're talking about. When Sam heard we were doing this podcast, he's like, wait, what? Wait, what? Right. I'm, not, I'm like, no, no, He's Sam, already done worry. the podcast. There is nothing substantive to be discussed on this, <laughs> on this episode. Um, but, that, but it's interesting nowadays, I feel like probably more than ever, like you can't separate food from politics. We had Jose Andres on uh, a few weeks ago, also yeah. from D.C., mm-hmm. and Jose got big into the issue of immigration and restaurant workers and stuff. Um, and the listeners were not very happy about that. The fact that he got involved. The fact that he talked politics. But I'm like, it's hard to, to well, talk about the restaurant industry. You can't not bring that stuff up. These and days. he was at the center of the maelstrom right. because he was supposed to open a restaurant in the new Trump Hotel in D.C. And when Trump made the comments about Mexicans, Jose basically pulled out and he's in the middle of a lawsuit. I mean, I think politics are I would argue that, you know, you talk about labor. Labor is inherently a political issue. Is it the base of the sort of restaurant industry. And so it's not that surprising that a restaurant owner would have ideas about labor and immigration, but doubly so for Jose, because he's in the center of this whole debate. How do you guys deal with in terms of because I do I would hope that you could have a discussion about politics without being overbearingly partisan about it, that you can talk about food policy and food politics and, and stuff without your listeners getting annoyed with you. Yeah, I think they all, I mean, first of all, you have so many famous chefs now that are, they feel like it's incumbent upon them Mm -hmm. to take some sort of role in policy discussion. Like Tom Colicchio is super active talking about um, food policy and he's- And really well. Sam's one, I mean, it's not Sam. uh, No, Tom. Tom is one of those guys who can talk about, you're like, when he talks about food policy, I'm like, wow, you know so much more no, than me. I, I did an event with him and Governor Christie like three years ago. To listen to Tom Colicchio, he was not there as a face. He wasn't yeah. there along for the ride. He was the one explaining food policy. Like, this is a huge part of his life. So I think he he wears on his sleeve which side he goes. He's a Hillary Clinton supporter, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think um, – I'm trying to think. Anthony Bourdain I yeah. interviewed. He's in his own different yeah. way. He's outspoken about um, politics. So I think when you get in the public eye that way, I think most of them are associated in some way with Democrats. It, when you get that famous and you're asked enough questions, yeah. politics come up and you sort of get sucked into yeah. that political vortex. But I, it, well, but 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 to be clear, there are so many political issues that dovetail with the food system, whether it's climate change and environmentalism right. relating to sustainability and food production, whether it's immigration and labor pertaining to the workforce in the kitchen. I mean, there's whether it's big, economics, big food and all ta- that. taxes, you know, like all of that is housed under a restaurant. And so, you know, I think some of the most outspoken people, advocates on any of those issues end up being chefs. But but what I think is impressive about Tom Colicchio is that if you're going to be asked about these sort of hot button topics, you better know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Because I'm I'm always hesitant to sort of wade in there because I'm like, I don't I don't feel like I have a handle on this stuff well enough to even just speak in an informed way and let the listener decide. Um, but it's tough to really know it as deeply as someone like and him does. And he's deeply engaged. I mean, he yeah. watches our shows constantly. He'll send me emails. He'll send he'll send out tweets disputing something yes, we say on the a, show. He's very engaged and active in the process. And Tom, I mean, Tom spends a lot of time in Washington. Food Policy yeah. Action, which he works with, is trying to score Congress people on their positions relating to hunger and food food availability in the same way that the NRA scores Congress people on their positions vis-a-vis um, guns and the Second Amendment. He's part of a, a pretty organized movement yeah. around the issues. Can I ask you guys a question that has yeah. nothing to do with food? Um, I, I want to say the the first uh, Republican debate was, I think, like 18 months ago or something, 17, 18 months ago. The primary debate. Primary, yeah, yeah. primary, yeah. 
why is the election cycle this long? Because <laughs> to me, it's, it, it strikes me as a reality TV show. And I begin to wonder, well, maybe it just is literally a reality TV show that it because of CNN and MSNBC and NBC and everyone, like, they just churn it along and keep it going. I like it in Great Britain when somebody stands up in Parliament and goes, let's have an election. Yeah. And then like two weeks later. Yeah, Canadians, 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 right? We take three months, boom, start to finish, soup to nuts, and we're done. Like, right. But seriously, is it is this an American thing that it's, it's all feeds the machine of advertising and everything else? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think um, if we all agreed that it should be six months, that would be that would be great. Yeah. But you're always going. I mean, you get the First Amendment; people can start and do whatever they want when they want to do it. But the process, Ted Cruz got in April of 2015. <laughs> <laughs> that he was the first guy in How'd the that pool. Work out? April of 2015. So it all it takes is one person starting the campaign, and the other people have to. It's a nuke. It's a. They have to get in and like yeah. catch up, or you're and then I feel like late. DC is then consumed with it for that year and a half, and nothing actually gets done in the Capitol, even right. more well, so than usual. Nothing gets done anyway. I mean, the I know, most legislating even, we're going to see is in the lame duck session. I think there are two factors that lead to an ex- insanely painfully long election calendar. One is yes, the media makes a lot. I mean, you look at the numbers for this election cycle. There's a lot of money to be made in covering politics the way that we are wall to wall 24/7. The other and I think this is actually more the 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 engine behind it is money and the fact that you know you want to be first out of the gate, you want to consolidate your donor base, you want to be the inevitable nominee, you want to get everyone on your side, you want all the staff that all the best staff. I mean, there's an enormous amount of pressure to be the front runner as early as possible and to, and that you know, results in dollars and support and theoretically votes. So the earlier you start, the better your chances. And I would say the the upside to it is if you're a fan of Barack Obama, you wouldn't have had Barack Obama in a four month, six month election. Yeah, exactly. He was unknown. He was a relatively unknown senator. He had to build up the support. It takes him a while to the get staff, it, the know. money and to, to become viable enough where mm-hmm. people say, oh, I thought I was going to vote for Hillary Clinton, yeah. but I like this guy better. He needed that time to get there. So you would you would lose some people. Let me ask you a politics. question. Is it too late for him to get into this election? <laughs> <laughs> Someone actually was like, wait, if the election is contested, does that mean Obama stays president? And I was like, I don't know your name, but that is a, the pipe dream. That and he is quickly was happen. like, hell no, yeah. I'm out. The bags are packed. Yeah. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the BA Foodcast. But before we go, we're going to do a little tag team uh, lightning round. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Wait, so tag we're together? Or? Some of you'll be together. Some you will be apart. And I, and I will let you know like... when you're together. We're going to start with one for Willie. Okay. <clears throat> Arnold's or Prince's? Uh, and we're talking about Nashville. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. You Arnold. went to Vanderbilt. Yeah, I'm gonna go Arnold's. That's like the meat. That's like the meat and three sort of place. Yeah, old school meat and three. And wait, what? what like, but, give me an order. But, but um, you would do um, chicken fried steak, mm. maybe something Ooh, yeah. like that. Um, little uh, green beans on the side, yeah. like um, green beans that have been cooked for nine hours. Exactly, been yeah. sitting in a pot for three days <laughs> with pork products. Yeah, I will say that Arnold's is really good. Um, there's a, there are a couple other little joints in Nashville that I would recommend. And then to Prince's is home to the famous hot chicken. Yeah. Do you do you do you, do you get down with that? Yeah, I get. To, I yeah. can dance with that. I can dance with the hot <laughs> chicken. Yeah. All right, Wags, we're going to hit you on um, black or green. What are you talking about? I'm talking about tea, because apparently you don't drink coffee, which oh, is beyond uh, lame as a morning TV sort uh, of person. You know, I'm going to go green. It's just it, I like bitter. Black tea, I always have to put milk and hmm. milk and sugar in it. Putting Tabasco in your green tea? I, if I could, I would, man. <laughs> it would probably float at the top, though. All right, back to you, Will. Like, iced or hot? Coffee? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, hot. we're not talking ice cream. Hot, yeah. hot, 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 hot. Yeah, always hot. 
sugar and it's cream. Part, it's part no. of the wake up for me. I actually, believe it or not, did not drink coffee until about a year ago. So what? I did like eight years of morning joe without coffee. Yeah. Who are Ooh. you people? I know. Why are Ooh, you Adam's now? the odd man out. I don't know. So Adam's I, the odd so man I out. So I started no, like- I'm the odd man in. My gateway into it was I would do like a vanilla latte. I just oh, didn't God. like the taste of it. Back to you, Willie. Yes. Uh, goo goo clusters or moon pies? This is going to be sacrilegious. I don't really love either of them, but mm. I'm going to go with Google Cluster. Google, Google Cluster sponsors the show Grand Ole Opry. Okay. Has been the sponsor forever. And that's and like a ever. peanut caramel yeah, sort of deal? Yeah, it's a peanut caramel. It's a chocolatey. What's it comparable to? Um, it's not a Twix because it's got more and peanut in it. It's not a Snickers. It's caramel exactly. chocolate. Yeah. And, yeah, it's it a little Snickers. It doesn't have a nougat. harder. No. Yeah. Uh, but I would take that over the moon pie every time. Um, all right. Both, both of you guys. Uh, dinner with dad or drinks with dad? Dinner with dad. <laughs> Drinks with dad. We go to a far, far reaches of the cosmos. Dinner with dad. And your dad was a political operative back in the day in yes, D.C., Yes, my father was very involved in a lot of the Democratic campaigns of the 70s and to some extent the 80s. And he knows how the sausage was made. watcher knows, of American he knows, politics. He knows how the sausage was made, right? He, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a weird metaphor to <laughs> yeah. use in the context of my dad, but I will go with it. And uh, he has a lot to say. I get sent a lot of exit polling data oh, still. Uh, at, yeah, yeah, on voting day. It's, it's a lot. I like a drink with my dad. There's a certain spot, Shelter Island, nice. way out at the end of Long Island. Yeah. He's got a little place out there with my mom. So on the back deck with a drink as the sunset. That sounds nice. That's where it happens. What, what do the guys boys drink? Bourbon. Yeah. Bourbon. Oh, yeah. How do, you, happy, how, little, how do you take it? Wow, fancy. Yeah, I know. It's good. Just, I mean, my everyday bourbon is not the pappy, but if you sit <laughs> with your dad on the back porch on like a Saturday yeah. in the summer, Ooh. that's the So my dad is uh, Midwestern. He's from Champaign, Illinois. There's T- a, certain, a TV veteran. TV veteran. There's a, there's a stoicism to the mm-hmm. Midwestern man. But when you get a little drink on the back porch, it all melts away. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That, that's the good stuff. Those are the good times. Oh, a DC question. Tabard Inn or Old Ebbett Bar and Grill? And that, without question, the Tabard Inn. Well, have you been to either? I've been to Ebbett. Yeah. yeah. Right across from uh, uh, near the White House? Yeah. 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 That's a classic old school one. Tabard's mm-hmm. a little bit. Tabard's a little, a little bit. A little hipper, but still very old. Yeah. And a little bit threadbare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a Washington institution. Shabby chic. Shabby chic. Hey, it's more on the shabby than the chic <laughs> side at this point. Old Ebbett know- is a little touristy, if you ask me. Yeah. What well, is? But it's, it's one it's of those things. It's also a classic. Yeah. It's a classic. It's big and beautiful. J.G. Mellon or Corner Bistro? Mm. I'm thinking about the burger at Corner Bistro. Corner Bistro. I spoke last night while eating a burger of the burger at Corner Bistro, <laughs> which one of my ex-boyfriends <laughs> used to refer to as his church. Wow. wow. It's a it's a pretty special Wait, place. You were eating a burger. Yes. Where were you eating a burger? I was eating a burger at a fantastic establishment called Prime Meats. Oh, yeah. In and Brooklyn. I was asking uh, my table mate. Which is a good burger. What is your favorite burger? And he said, I don't know. I've eaten so many burgers, which was a disgusting answer as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I said, you know, there's this place called the Corner Bistro. And I proceeded to spin the tail of this holy burger place. Um, Bistro is good. It used to be better. They they had a, they had lost some of their cooks a while back, and I think they, they're they not as consistent as they used to be in terms of if you order medium rare, you're never really sure if you're going to get uh, medium rare. They used to cook their burgers, I can go on about this, under a <laughs> salamander. So the flames are up top. They're on a, they're on a grill, flames from up top, right. so they, they're, they're essentially broiled like in a kitchen of, uh, in a kitchen oven. Um, the J.G. Mellon, which is a famous old place on the Upper East Side, where you would see, I think you would see a lot of Local politicians and mm-hmm. such, and the mayor or whatever, um, they do it theirs on a flat top griddle, so it's more kind of fried. But they also have the cottage fries, which are those ooh, sort of ooh, round fries, ooh, ooh. Um, which are awesome. Please, hammer, don't hurt them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I love them both. Um, okay, guys, last question: 
Butter or olive oil? Olive oil. Butter! And with that, thank you. Guys, Willie Geist, Alex Wagner, our big political smackdown. Thank (laughs) you. I don't know, was no. it? No. No. no, it wasn't Very a smackdown. Very bipartisan. Very bipartisan. Our our political gathering. Yeah. Or, no, was it? Our Congress. S- it's a salon. Our Congress. Oh, a salon. Oh. Yeah, a salon. All right. Have fun at yoga. This podcast has been brought to you by Carrie Polis, Emma Wurtzman, and Lily Sherman, with editing by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Gradies. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Plus, we're now offering online cooking classes with Sir Latab that feature our recipes. Sign up at bonappetit.com slash cooking classes and learn how to make everything from pork chops to molten chocolate cake. Thanks for listening. <laughs>